Hi and welcome to episode 20 of the VSuit podcast, the audio-only virtualization podcast that forms part of your five-a-day technology conversations. In this episode, we're going to talk techie like we've never talked before with Phil Buckley-Meller. In addition to being a moderator at Top Admin Hangout, serverfault.com, Phil's involved with the design and build of high availability systems, put my teeth back in, for the media industry. Uh, more on that to come, but first, Phil, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing? Everybody okay, guys? Uh, not yeah. too bad. Yeah. Um, good. Yeah, this is a, a, a slightly special episode, and some people might say we're slightly special all the time, uh, <laughs> but this sort of marks uh, pretty much a year of uh, the, the show, so we've made it through the first year, and uh, long may we go on. Yeah, it's time for the difficult second year. <laughs> it is. It's, it's a second, second uh, phase. Yeah. But uh, so, Phil, what have you been up to? Well, uh, I've quite a quiet Christmas, which was nice. Uh, had some sort of projecty things. Uh, the company I do all my work for um, effectively has a change freeze throughout the whole of the Christmas period, uh, just in, because they have so many staff go on on, on vacation. So it's a, it's a really nice opportunity to work on those little projects that you put to one side that you mean to look at, and you can develop your own little your own little. Uh, skills in something that uh, normally you're too busy to work on. So, uh, so that was good fun. Excellent. Yeah, I, I noticed a lot of my customers have had uh, sim- similar change freezes, uh, which has been a pain because it's just as we want to get uh, proof of concepts and things deployed. Uh, so, yeah, it's, made, it's led to me having a massively busy January because all of those proof of concepts I was going to try and do latter half of December have all been squashed into you know, the, the January squeeze, as it were. Yeah. I've also had a project pulled forward as well, which is quite unusual in the, this day and age, where projects a lot a lot of the time get pushed back for budgetary reasons. Yep. Uh, so I've had a, a, a second site uh, project that we've been you know, we've been planning on to start in April and it got pulled back to uh to well to, to late January. So uh that threw me quite a bit. Suddenly I have to chase around to twenty different suppliers and getting quotes and putting them together kit lists and stuff that we weren't planning on doing for two months. So yeah, busy, busy times at the moment. Having been uh, quite quiet over Christmas, yeah. Excellent. Anything in particular doing uh, pushing it for or back or something happened or just a uh, just a financial reason really? Uh, yeah, it's just ju- ju- that is genuinely just a financial reason and uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's it's not like when we you know, when I got my second site for the uh, shipping company I work for where. We actually had a water leak, <laughs> which yeah. turned, turned into the uh, planning around the second site uh, happening a really a lot quicker than it was supposed to be. No, essentially but, the, um, the budget had been put to, put aside to start in the next financial year, and it was just decided not to wait that long. So yeah, yeah. yeah. that makes sense though. So get it yeah. done. It's uh, a I second we'll site. Also- is a good thing to have. I think we'll also benefit as well because quite a lot of our suppliers uh, end of years are coming up soon, so we'll be able to um, maybe um, optimize our quotes, should we say, by uh, by playing them a little bit. But we'll see. Did you put a few zeros out of it? <laughs> we'll see. Excellent. Uh, so um, I, I dropped a few hints as to uh, to what you do. Um, and without mentioning the name of your employer, um, can you can you talk a bit more about the, the types of products projects? <laughs> yeah, sure. I um, uh, for the last about five and a half six years, I've been working uh, in the uh, 
consumer video on demand industry, basically. So uh, we've got about 750,000 uh, paying customers who get a, a set top box and they get to watch live stuff and they get to um, they get to play video on demand and, and you know and see what they uh, you know all that kind of. Uh, really good video content is so that's uh, that's been a platform that's been around for about five years five and a half years now and uh, we're just in the process now of rolling out its replacement okay so this is de- delivered over web content rather than uh, a satellite link or anything like that yeah absolutely yeah it's uh, yeah it's all been it's 100 percent ip yeah right. yeah so so youtube on steroids um, no, I'd like to think YouTube with a brain. I mean, we we basically <laughs> anyone can do YouTube quality video where effectively there's no SLA and nobody really cares. We're, we're used to watching computer video, um, you know, on our laptops, and if it stutters, we don't really care. But if if that happened on your TV, you our users would be pretty annoyed. They're expecting TV quality service, and it's engineering that level of of um, service. Uh, the fact that effectively we deliver our service 25 times a second, um, every second, that that's really the that's the tough bit. That's the engineering bit. Right. That's, that's quite a tough SLA to be working to. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, um, especially when the new, sure. the new, platform, new platform is entirely virtualized as well. I mean, you know, the, la- the, the initial platform wasn't at all, but uh, it, we're like 98% virtualized on the new platform. So that, that does add some additional complexities uh, and opportunities. Okay. Because um, I've heard of something similar that uses sort of transient virtual machines. So uh, for each instance, for each user, almost uh, they spin up a, a very small um, virtual machine that actually that handles the the stream. Um, and then when the user disconnects, that VM is is trashed. Do you do something similar? I mean, obviously, I, I know there's probably limits as to how much you can tell us. Uh, yeah, not, not with streaming. That kind not, of uh, yeah, so yeah, not with the actual streaming. To be honest, the the volumes we do at the bit rates we do across the whole country, there's no way we could uh, we could do that. We need to make absolutely certain that every every customer can have what they've paid for if they need to. Where we do use that kind of thing is in the back end, right. uh, where we can scale up and down based on load, um, and and that is something that is new to our platform and new to the organisation to some extent, um, but. So far, so good. You know, we, we've we've tested it to uh, some quite significant limits, far higher than our current, uh, current user base, and um, so far, so good. Excellent. So, yeah. so um, you know, so we've got something with a scalable capacity, sort of very very on demand. Sounds a bit cloudy to me. Uh, but it's entirely <laughs> private, that's for certain. Yes. It's, uh, yeah, the, I don't believe we could do anything other than run it private. We've got video content on there that's... Um, High value, you know. That the, there are some very significant penalties if we were to be uh, to caught out and to to have somehow leaked. So we take that very serious, and we've got some uh, some really very significant security, both physical and and um, electronic. You know, right? Which, which is quite interesting because although you know it's it, it's still media, I know potentially financial institutions that don't look after their data that uh, that uh, tightly. <laughs> No, I mean we've got you know special rooms. We've got anti-vibration stuff. We've got heat things. We've got multiple cameras. If you touch sensitive stuff and vibration sensitive stuff, all the alarms go off, and we can lock things down. We've actually only got one very very tiny place where at any point where we have um, 
an encrypted video. It comes into us encrypted, goes out to us, out of us encrypted. But very momentarily, we have to um, we you know, you know transfer the, the the data types, and um, and we've done our best to make sure that's horrendously tight. Right. So, would you, uh, so speaking of uh, you know, vibration sensitivity, Ed, um, I, I believe you've been um, experimenting with the. Uh, things like that in uh, South Africa. <laughs> well, yeah, I just returned from Vietnam today, and uh, I had a bit of a bike accident while I was there. Just came away with the skin, knee, and uh, some bruises. Other than that, everybody's okay. Um, if you guys are interested to see what, what kind of situation I was in, just uh, go to YouTube and, and look up Saigon Traffic, and uh, you'll have That's an idea the... of what I fell down in. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've seen, I've seen the top. Did you find yourself? Did you find yourself waking up in a in a Saigon hotel saying Saigon, shit? Apocalypse now. Put a fan whirling in the air. I'm, I'm not as cool I'm as Martin. I'm showing my age now a while. <laughs> but I am there quite a bit, and it, it does kind of have that cool feel to it, or like I feel like a cool guy like Martin Sheen, but I'm really I'm not. <laughs> I'm kind of getting more of a hangover vibe than I'm getting a Saigon uh, Vietnam War thing, though. But. Yeah, yeah, more more of a just... Uh, picturing, you on, picturing you on a bike in Vietnam is kind of... That sounds a bit like hangover, too, to me. But. You know what? We can actually add a picture to the show notes. I have one of me smiling uh, just before the incident. <laughs> you have a before and after shot? <laughs> no, well, after shot, I took a picture of my knee afterwards. <laughs> which was bleeding profusely. Nice. But, um, but other than that, yeah, it's okay. I, w I, was there only, I was there four days for work, and then the rest of the time was um, Vietnam New Year. If we have any Vietnam listeners, uh, Chupmung Nam Moi. Uh, <laughs> Other than that, I was there for four days for business and the rest for uh, kind of pleasure. Fair enough. Cool. So, um, we've, we've all, all been fairly busy. Um, but uh, the, uh, the world of technology has uh, also been fairly busy. Uh, we've had a few new product releases. Uh, our CV Center have launched uh, their uh, VC Operations version 5. Um, is uh, is brand new to the market. Has anyone had a chance to play with it? Well, certainly, I'm um, I'm a big big vCenter uh, operations fan and user. Um, we've been using it for probably about six months, seven months now, something like that. It's a totally different view on your data. I mean, we're also used to the data we can get from vCenter, and I guess we were looking initially for some sort of dashboarding for the VMware farms that. Um, would be good for management, and it certainly takes that box straight away. But of course, yeah, there's a new version now. Have, have you had, had a chance to play with it yet? Yeah, absolutely. Um, after I got over the slight hurdle of the licensing changed, I don't know if you're aware, but they they changed from a um, a per host model for version one to oh. a per VM, well per, per block of VM um, licensing model for version five. They kind of skipped the three versions in between, and um, yeah, they, they you now license it in blocks of twenty five VMs. As opposed to per host, we're we're in a very like single digit uh, VM per host remit. You know, we're, we're, we we don't really push our hardware too much, so presumably that's going to work out better for me uh, as they convert the licenses over. But um, I think really the 
the main differences really is the implementation. vCenter Operations, the, the version one, um, was a lot more complex to deploy uh, and a lot more open to managing more than just vCenter uh, because it was one of the products that they brought in. So it, yeah. it could manage NetApps and it could manage Oracle boxes and a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, and vCenter. It could manage vCenter. Uh, yeah, and, it didn't seem to be uh, In fact, the end... Yeah, no, no, if, no. If you bought the enterprise version at all, in fact, you actually had to consciously um, download the um, the plugin separately to, to make it go. When when you started it up, it, it initially just had a blank piece of white paper. Um, whereas the new version is, uh, it's deployed as a V app, so that's great. It just literally just deploy the whole thing straight away in one go. Uh, it has an in in V app DB as well, so you don't have to. Um, put your data on an Oracle or MSSQL box, okay. which saves a lot of hassle, as you can imagine. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's a lot more tuned towards towards a, a VMware customer. So straight out of the box, uh, the, um, the, the, the the enterprise version looks like the kind of the, the cheaper free one, which is kind of more on, on vCenter Rails. So, yeah, yeah, I'm pleased with it so far. Excellent. Yeah, because I know that was an, a criticism of the early versions that it required, you know, potentially a, a lengthy PSO engagement to actually get it working. Um, but it, you know, if they've got it, work yeah. a bit more out of the box. Um, but I, I'm interested to know: um, Are you making much use of the sort of the, the auto-tuning thresholds? Yeah, well, I mean, you don't really get a lot of say in that, but, uh, you know, you, to, to be honest, it just gets on with it. There's, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's effectively three views. There's, there's um, performance, and that's pretty straightforward. As I say, we're, we're not loading our uh, boxes up too much, so that's generally almost always green. Uh, there's a on the right hand side of the screen the, there is a capacity planning which is really neat it tells you when your hosts are going to need more memory in 93 days or this VM is going to run out of vCPU in 6 days or whatever that's quite nice where where it's a little bit trickier is the, is the middle option, which is the health setting. And the problem is, is they've used the word health. So you, people look at it, and it, very often it's not green. And the reason being is because it uses dynamic thresholds. So instead of just saying throw an alarm if you go over 70% and throw a worse alarm if you go over 90% or whatever, this thing tracks what, what your normal levels are. Mm. and alarms if you go outside a standard deviation of that, which is good. I mean, it's, it's clever. The problem is is that if you've got an environment like we've got where we're just about to start ramping up users, uh, there is no standard, there is no normal, so it's permanently not on green, which, you know, when you've bought a tool to show to seniors, um, yeah. you know, and, and two-thirds of it's just perfect, flat, solid red, and the other one's almost constantly amber or, sorry, green, and then the, the middle one's constantly uh, red or amber, then, you know, it takes some explaining, and it's a little bit boring going th explaining to them, them statistics, you know? Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, you know, it's great. Once we settle down, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure that, that'll be invaluable, yeah. If I can get back to the capacity thing for one second, yeah. Do you find that um, Do you find that it's it's fairly accurate? Because I mean, uh, a lot of the capacity things, I've, a lot of the capacity products I've used in the future, it's yeah, sure, it'll use some sort of algorithm to calculate, but it's not always right, and you always kind of need a human to keep the eye on it to determine the, the correct capacity. Well, I certainly don't think there's any. Um, I don't think there's any replacing human part of it where where it's very useful is cpu and disk um 
simply because those those stats we know vCenter already keeps a really good quality uh, information about already and patterns of CPU use tend to be a, a lot more predictable than same memory and network use I would I would say certainly in, in, in our environments that we've built where we can quite happily see um, a relationship between Workload, which in our case is, is time of day and day of day of week or day of month, because we're a TV service. Yep. So people, do, our our best time for changes is nine o'clock on a Monday morning. So no one's watching TV. That's the last time you do that. On a, you, you do that last time of the day anybody else would do that. So we we understand the nature of our CPU utilization is entirely dependent on our uh, on our users playing playing video but that isn't always the case with memory and it is it doesn't seem to match always for network as well um, so we found it very accurate for memory for CPU and for um, disk utilization um, less so we get more alarms because of the uh, on off nature we've seen of memory tearing uh, you know tearing up from you know very low numbers to very high numbers and the same to some extent of networking as well uh, mostly because of backups and housekeeping applications that run and use a lot of memory suddenly or, or use a lot of network. Do you guys, so, do you guys guarantee, uh, do you guys put reservations on the CPU? No, we just we just don't need to. We, we, we always have to make sure we've got enough cores uh, and enough memory. Oh, so I, we've guess, ne- we, I, I guess, don't think we've ever had a... C- I guess the problem I had in the past was, yeah, we might have some VMs that are spiking like crazy at certain points, but most of the time they're quiet and just uh, contending for resources with high CPU ready times. Yeah, we, we, we've consciously engineered it so that we, we can never be, um, never really be be out of resources. I mean, we've got more physical CPUs than, than vCPUs and the same for memory as well. Oh, that's um, perfect. I would kill I, for that. Yeah, <laughs> probably not. Probably not quite that on networking and on. Um, certainly, we have for IOPS. We, we're really IOP rich, but poly networking, we're uh, yeah, we're, we're probably a little. There are some cases where we could be could be constrained on that, but we're more usually worried about networking latency than bandwidth. Anyway, the bandwidth handled on the on the streaming side. That's horrendous. That's terabits. You know. Yeah, yeah I, um, I would imagine it's, it's uh, you're in a in a I guess in a line of business that can justify uh, pretty easily having an infrastructure that scales that well. Uh, for the rest of us who who, who kind of work for whatever uh, company we work for, we would never get that kind of uh, power in the data centers, and we need to. To kind of uh, divide it up uh, and over provision at times as well, which obviously you don't have to because you're scaling uh, linearly towards the amount of customers you have, I guess. Yeah, I mean, to, to be fair, for, for our um, we have we have a number of different environments. We have we have um, at least one production environment. We have um, uh, at least one reference environment. A reference environment in a, in our organization is like a like a hundred percent copy of it, so we can it's for final test. Yeah, so every the, there is everything is clustered and everything is the same architecture. But then when we move down into um, to development and test, yes, we do probably get some contention in there. Yes, we do. Uh, have things like we we use thin disks and we use uh, yeah I'm, I'm sure that the the, the VMs are contended um, not too bad but but then it's specifically not uh, we don't engineer in there uh, zero contention that's for certain does that make sense 
Yeah. Yeah, we've got quite a lot of Devon test boxes. Quite a lot. Now, <laughs> we, have whole, so. we, we have whole bunches of guys working absolute asses off just managing the Devon test environments. <laughs> I mean, yeah. literally dozens of people. You mentioned yeah. you were IOP rich. If you don't mind me asking, what kind of storage is it you're using? Um, yeah, we, well, yeah, we, uh, across the organization, we've got quite a range. We, um, we generally use NetApp um, for Filerbase, for, 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 you know, NAS style things, um, just because of the scale, just because, certainly when it comes to video, I mean, you know, it's incredibly data intensive, you know, it really is. Uh, when we've got like 14,000 video assets and they're anywhere between uh, um, kind of, a gigabyte an hour and six gigabytes an hour, depending on the format type, it all starts adding up and you want multiple copies of it and snaps of it and a whole bunch of stuff. So for, we use NetApp for, um, for video storage, content storage, and then we use uh, a lot of different types of HP storage. I mean, they've got a massive array of, um, array of arrays, in fact. They've mm-hmm. got... Um, yeah, they you know they've got from XPs. There's uh, the you know so that which is HDS stuff ba- rebadged. There's EVAs. Um, we're big fans of three par equi- uh, equipment, and then again down to our if you look at our dev boxes, they go out with um, the smaller the MSA two thousands, which are like uh, oh. little mini NAS boxes. So so yeah, that, that that's how we get away with um, we're, we're saving some money. We we buy those kind of cheaper boxes for that, and then the the, the bigger boxes for um, yeah, for, the, for where we need the IOPS, really. So I've, I've already managed to get in cloud as a buzzword and had to get in another one and say big data. Um, would you describe your data as big? Um, <laughs> <laughs> video content, yeah. Database, pretty small. Yeah, the, the database isn't that bad. I mean, you know, compared to a lot of other people out there, we've got a small number of, um, of clients we've got. Well, we've got you know, less than a million at the moment, and we're scaled to a number of times that, certainly, but that's nothing when you compare that to you know, even a medium-sized e-commerce site. So our databases are pretty um, pretty small, and there's a limit to how much data mining we do, and we, 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 we do a lot of recommendations work where we go off and look at what people have watched before and make recommendations back to them, some very clever technology involved in that. We... we um, we use a company called a filter that's actually owned by uh, Peter Gabriel. You know the you know the yeah. singer Peter yeah. Gabriel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Harry's, he's one of his own favourites. Is that called Sledgehammer? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah funny. <laughs> it's funny. It keeps recommending lots and lots of Genesis albums. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's it, oh, early Genesis, I guess. Sledgehammer. Yeah. That's Peter yeah. Gabriel, though. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. Um, yeah, so, so uh, you know, our data, our databases are small, but our video content is is really quite big. Yeah, I don't think anybody in that industry can avoid it. There's no opportunity to dedupe, you know. Although, if you've seen the films of Nicolas Cage, you could probably dedupe <laughs> to those, you know. <laughs> <laughs> looking like a horse. You just one get it down one. to like one yeah. shot of Nicolas Cage looking shocked, and there's the whole of eight millimeter. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, just yeah. have to get this in while you're talking about dedupe stuff. Do you dedupe your live running data? No. No. Good no, choice. Not, nothing close, no. I mean, it's just, we've got nothing to do, you. I mean, like I say, video content just doesn't doesn't work at all. Uh, the, uh, the only things we, um, 
we do GGPO is our backups. Because if you imagine we've got X hundred whatever VMs flying around, the vast majority of them are on one OS, uh, which is um, Oracle Linux we, we use, which is a, a Red Hat rebadge. And um, they're incredibly dedupable from a backup point of view. So, yeah, yeah, we'll use those. That makes sense. Um, but I was thinking about, you know, so video would strike me as something that would work quite well in a sort of object or object-based storage model. Um, and one, you know, because you, you talk about sort of using filers, so presumably they're going to sit in sort of SIFs or NFS type um, chairs. Uh, yeah, and, exactly. And moving to a slightly more, um, yeah, an object-based storage would work in your favour. Well, the, the problem is, is down to latency, is that when someone, if you imagine, say you've got, like I say, 10,000, 15,000, whatever video objects, every one of them's using at least a gig, you've got a lot of data, you can't cache that, you can't even get close to caching that, so what you really care about is being able to um, uh, get at that data initially straight away as soon as possible, read ahead works great on that, because it's nice and sequential, you know, yeah. almost inherently. But the problem is, is that you think, oh, okay, well, caching will really work. But the problem is, is when you've got that many people looking at it all at the same time, there's no caching algorithm that I've ever come across that allows you to uh, understand those, you know, hundreds of thousands or whatever of requests coming on all at once. Um, so really, you, you've just got to make sure your storage can keep up. You know, you've just got to make sure that that, that it is going to do what it can. And what we actually do is, is we. Um, it, the originating point of our video is just straightforward HTTP gets, right? Uh, which is very well served by a standard NFS uh, kind of setup. And then what we do is we put in front of them, um, they used to be called Zeus ZTMs, I don't know if you came across them. There's a company called Zeus, they made a product low called Zeus Traffic yeah. Manager. Well, the, people think of those yeah. low balances, they're actually fantastic caching engines right. as well, really, really scalable caching engines. And they, they also do some... Um, really nice in and out URL fudging as well. So you can totally change URLs coming in, responses going back and a whole bunch of stuff like that. And we, we use them really extensively. They just got bought by Riverbed, who chose to change the product name to Stingray. <laughs> Why? Awful. Da, 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 da. Um, They've not changed the pricing policy, that's for certain. Uh, so yeah, we, we, put, we put them in front of them and that, that way it effectively does our caching, effectively we can cache HTTP, HTTPS gets. Right. Which is quite a tough thing to do. Yeah. And you're doing URL rewrites with them, stuff like that? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We yeah. use those for our, Smell uh, our business to business portal also. Yeah. It's not cheap, is it? But very good service and very, very flexible. Yeah. Yeah, cool. even with the stupid new name. <laughs> so, you've, you've got kind of um, a, to use the, the Nordic terms I've uh, been spending the last few days there, you've got quite a smorgasbord of products. Uh, oh, yeah. um, must be fairly tricky in terms of, you know, how, how do you manage or at least report from some form of single pane of glass? Um, this is an interesting one. The original platform, the, the platform that we can get, that you can get right now, is, uh, was an entirely Microsoft-derived platform. It was all on physicals, all Windows operating systems, Windows databases, Windows custom code, uh, and a whole bunch of, the, of all their stuff. So to get a single management pane was, well, initially it was, it was MOM and then SCOM. And, um, and that's good because, you know, Microsoft do well in that area. But 
this whole new platform was going to be Linux and Oracle and uh, a lot of uh, Java applications, quite a few custom applications all pulling together, all the networking stuff we wanted together and storage and VMware. And we were like, why the hell are we going to keep track of it? And I think the, the initial idea was to uh, drop logs onto syslog D servers and any, uh, you know, so all the syslog stuff would go on there, all the syslog, log, uh, um, all of the individual log files would go on there, but it was a pain and we'd yep. have had to have written a lot of custom code and, and along came um, Splunk, which I know some of you guys have, have spoken about in the past uh, and we're now uh, big Splunk users. We are... Um, it's become a really, really major part of our of our operations. Almost everybody is trained in Splunk. Almost everybody gets on it, you know, and goes and looks looks up all manner of data. We've got all sorts of custom reports on there, custom applications. And although it's not the cheapest piece of software and requires quite a bit of um, of uh, PS, certainly up front, I would suggest. Um, it, I've never come across anything that that pulls all that data from lots of different sources together as well. I mean, we can do one search that, that correlates our land traffic and our net VMware stuff and our, our storage traffic, our application logs, all into one report, which, I don't know, to me it seems borderline magic, but, um, you know, it's not it's not me writing the reports, to be honest. I don't, I, we have some very smart people who write the reports, so um, yeah, that, I just designed them. That's been my problem with Splunk as well. I've, I've played with it a bit in earlier versions and stuff, and it there is a. Um, it's not easy getting good stuff out of that. You need to know. Uh, you need to really know your log files. That's one thing, and you need yeah. to know Splunk as well. So you need to be kind of a, be a, a, a. You need to be trained on that stuff to be able to actually use it for anything. So it's not something that's very easily implemented in a. In a in a lab or something, you 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 won't really get anything uh, out of the box out of it before you actually sit down and and, and learn it properly. Yeah, but, okay. So it's it's definitely something that you wouldn't say has a oh, what do they call it sort of day, day zero value or something like you know to be able to install no, it and do something cool straight off. We had it in the labs for about three to six months before we put basically a non geek user in front of it. Um, so you're absolutely right. I mean, that yeah, they, they, they're very, um, uh, they're very good at the support from the support point of view and the, the PS guys are excellent, but, um, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. It's not, well, it's not a Fisher price toy, right? You can't just switch no. it on, turn one knob. There is no Apple version of Splunk, you know? That's, uh, yeah. Oh, don't, uh, you can so easily mispronounce that. Um, but yeah, the, uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It, it does require quite a bit of um, development and testing, and then getting to a particular point where you commit to going for it. Um, you know, it's it is quite a quite a big thing. But I think it's given us it's given us views on our data that I honestly don't think we would have been able to get at any at any price. Never mind, never mind um, the ease of use of it. But there is there is quite a few hurdles with it. But um, yeah, it's it's really good. And of course, they actually um, one of the nice things that they've started to do is recognise that. If you look at some of the, they do they have a thing called Splunk Base, uh, which is a um, uh, their, their pre-built application page. So yeah. you can go on there. And if, if you're only looking after Linux boxes, you can get Splunk for Linux. Add the application. It understands Linux logs and will tell you a whole bunch of um, stats about your Linux. They do one for Windows. They now do one for VMware. 
Um, yeah, that, that's the one I've been waiting for. Yeah, it's, it's been in um, in alpha for quite a while, and we we've yeah. been very vocal vocal about how um, how much fun it is to use. And I think it was literally about I think it was launched the other day. The actual the the the, um, the full beta version of it is now uh, is now out there, and it, you know it's got a lot better, a lot more stable, and yeah, it's good stuff. Cool. That's, that's, that's that sounds, sounds good. Because that, that's that's one of the things I've, I've been kind of uh, waiting for is. Something I can plug into into Splunk and have it sort of make sense of my standard host logs from an ESX uh, system. Yeah, well, it, it does. does. It, it does. I, yeah, but it, it doesn't need a lot of kind of intelligence built around it. So, but it needs to actually understand the log files, so I don't have to. In a way. Yeah, because trying to write regexes or whatever to to understand every single potential line coming out of a, you know that. ESX logs is would you well you'd be a nightmare yeah so they've effectively uh, done that I've had for you I'm sorry I've, I've, seriously I've, I've I've had uh, nightmares about regex uh, yeah, yeah. before because I used to do some uh, some open source development in PHP and stuff and that, that is, then all of a sudden you came across some crazy uh, regex stuff that just it. it Literally melts my brain. That stuff. I I don't get it at all. It's uh, not the dimension, uh, mentally, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and it, it it looks like it's from another world sometimes as well. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of Spark, I, I I saw Hal Rottenberg has joined them uh, recently. So I'm kind of guessing there will be some Power CLI, uh, PowerShell stuff going on there as well pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, it is a very Linux-oriented product. I mean, we we've tried we tried running our main um, search heads and, and indexes on Windows, and to be honest, we ended up going back to Linux. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that's not what what they'd say, but if um, if I had to do it all again, I would have started on Linux again straight away. So I, I guess getting back to the whole dedupe thing, uh, we were we were talking in chat, and we came up with a good idea for if you were go, if you were going to dedupe video. The best thing to dedupe would be all three Bill and Ted Excellent Adventure movies. Um, they would be pretty, pretty damn small. <laughs> I, I deny the existence of a third one. Uh, Which is the third one? Come on. <laughs> Not that I'm a massive fan in anyway. And the third one was That's something two. else. But they say excellent so much that the dedupe would have to would have to absolutely work. <laughs> well, it's a time travel thing, so maybe you've seen the third one before it's been made. Was there a third? Okay, you know? we'll have to Google this. <laughs> no, we'll have to Google this. So no, someone is googling it on a googling front. You're talking to the, there, checking it. You're talking to the guy who who works in film and TV and stuff. There's a, I know a bit too much about film and TV. Way too much yeah. about that. Not enough about about other things. But it, it, I can't pretend it wasn't a draw. I mean, I'm an IT guy, but you know, I do um, I do come from a you know from a real solid interest in film and TV. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, really, historically, I come from a sort of financial IT background. Uh, I, I was at um, a large um, consulting firm from the early '90s or whatever. And almost all of our work was on uh, was on finance, and then I went to work for a large ATM reseller as a, um, a, a ATM manufacturer, who uh, and we we did network consultancy into into banks. So, uh, but 
you know, to go from that and go straight into uh, to working on a video on demand is, is purely because I had uh, a real background in data networking servers and a real love for video and digital video. So bringing the two together was really good, you know, really good for me personally, just from an interest point of view. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's been very, very different way of working, you know. It was also a good break to move away from the finance in the industry, but I, I can't pretend I knew that, you know, that, that the finance industry was going to have some uh, difficulties. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. It's always nice think, to, to work in an industry segment that you're, uh, you're passionate about anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's no two ways about it. I, I can't believe I get to work in this industry doing what we're doing, really pioneering, you know. I think um, if you actually look back at TV standards have been very, very similar. You've had kind of two 20-year blocks of, of real standardization of, of service that we've had um, over the last sort of 20, 40, and even going back 60 years. What I think is certain is that video on demand is, is here. Uh, video over IP is here. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what shape things are going to be in about you know in the next five years or ten years. Uh, I think it's going to be a while until it settles down and we have kind of a, a, a standard. Right. That everybody's working on, but if, if you're not in the game, if you're not if you're not playing part of that, if you're not trying to define those and, and make your own market, you won't be in that you won't be in that end game. So um, so that that's what it's about now is uh, designing products that people are happy to pay for and that you know keep the business going, adding um, you know adding value all the way. And at some point, I think the rate of change will settle down, right. and I think that you will. You will be able to buy a standard video on demand set-top box or or something. Either way, I know things are changing. Okay, because surely, if if you really want to work at whatever you know the cutting edge, particularly of web technologies, um, don't you don't you need to slightly move into porn uh, more than sort of regular broadcast ones? Because they always seem to. If you look at all of the firsts. Uh, video on demand was definitely one of the, you know, the big things that they did. Uh, e-commerce, the whole concept of being able to buy something on the on the interweb, was driven by the the adult industry. Um, yeah. So I suppose and all that's the formats my excuse, as well. All is the I'm formats. just looking to see what the next technology is. Well, I mean, certainly, um, I mean, don't forget, porn defined the uh, the fact that we that we have VHS, or that we had VHS, you know, over Betamax. Betamax was a far, a far better technical solution, uh, digital audio for a start. But, um, but yeah, the porn industry leapt on, uh, leapt on VHS and, and it won. Um, you know, and, and, and really, um, they almost won in the, I don't know if you remember HD DVD versus Blu-ray? Yes. Mm-hmm. HD DVD was much, much cheaper. They, they, um, and it was very cheap to, to tool up the, the fab, the fabrication factories. So, um, the porn industry were really keen on that. And really, it was the PS3. It was the combination of um, the convergence of gaming and and a cheap Blu-ray player that that killed um, that killed the porn industry that time. So uh, yeah, and I mean that they've been, they've taken the lead in 3D. Um, you know, I, personally, I think the feature is more IMAX and high definition than 3D. But, personally, but um, my you favorite know. thing is if you could put gaming and porn together. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there's some very niche websites that will more than satisfy those that, that niche. Uh, yeah, there's uh, yeah, there's some things on Wikipedia even that you don't want to read about that kind of thing. The Japanese stuff generally is uh, it's quite. So that's a very special world in Warcraft, isn't it? Yeah, but I think I think certainly you'll see porn uh, taking the lead in in 4K and 8K resolution. 
stuff uh you know more than more than 3d uh, I, I genuinely don't believe um people really want 3d in, yeah. in their home uh whereas higher definition stuff 4k um 8k stuff is has got to be seen to be believed it's almost 3d just without any glasses and whatever so you know i i think that'll that'll take the lead there's there's margin in it ultimately in porn so it's bound to it's bound to um you know it's bound to take the lead yeah, yeah so phil yeah. you think that, these, that, these these real expensive 3d tvs that are going out the door right now are, are a passing fancy type of deal yeah, yeah, I do believe that until they get to glasses free 3D, and there's, I mean, there's a lot of movement in there. I think it alienates a lot of people. Not many people want to sit and watch TV with glasses on, um, and especially if you already wear glasses wearer like I am. Um, whereas I think the benefit of, I don't know if you've ever seen a 4K or an 8K display, um, the color depth is, is astonishing, and, and, you know, it's beautiful. Imagine your iPhone 4 Retina display, but you know, across the size, of, you know, half as far as your lounge. It, that, that's immersive. That really is holodeck stuff, really. Um, at which point, the 3D stuff becomes kind of perfunctory, really. Go and see. Go and see an IMAX film. I'll tell you the same thing. Go and see um, Tom Cruise. That was a Mission Impossible 4 in IMAX. That blows the lid off anything 3D. That was amazing. I must admit, I, I'm not a. I've been to see a few 3D films, and I've I've not been massively impressed. Um, it just feels, uh, I don't know, that it's not really all that three-dimensional. And sometimes that the they they put in you know really gratuitous 3D scenes which don't add anything to the film. Uh, yeah, it's just sort of showing off the technology. Have you seen Harold and Kumar's Christmas? Do you know the Harold, Harold and Kumar I, films? Like I hope so. I realised they did a Christmas uh, special. They did a Christmas one in the States uh, over over the holidays. And um, it, they consciously, it's like a joke that's reaching out at the screen, like, Whoa, and everything. You know, it's, it's not like, hmm. it's kind of quite a knowing way of doing it. And that's actually quite funny. Because they, they consciously throw things at the screen in slow motion and stuff. Now, you know, when, it, when it's taken... You should probably be high when you watch it. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there's yeah. a lot of films that would be improved with the addition of that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> see, see, yeah. Bill and Ted. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Speaking, speaking of, I, I, I kind of, I had a thought around the uh, the whole uh, kind of augmented reality thing uh, the other day because the Norwegian uh, a Norwegian milk uh, producer has created their own. Uh, augmented reality app for the iPhone, where you actually scan the milk carton, and then you get uh, you place the camera in front of the milk carton. It reads the QR code on it, and it displays a bunch of cows running around the carton on your table. <laughs> and this is where and they, they these cows. Back to the Norwegian milk crisis. This is yeah. always yeah. It's always about the Norwegian dairy industry in some way. Yeah. Which I, I guess that's our porn. I don't know. But <laughs> when, when, I, when I actually tested that application, I, I I I couldn't imagine that a Norwegian milk manufacturer would be the first one I would see doing that. I I would I would have thought someone else would have done that before and not showing cows running around on your table <laughs> and talking to you and suddenly realizing you're human and running away and stuff. It, 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 it's Incred Sounds really cool. Incredibly stupid. It's incredibly <laughs> stupid, but it, it was a lot of fun. 
Yeah. So uh, I mean, I like the whole augmented reality. I, I think there's, uh, you know, particularly with phone phones, there's uh, a lot yeah. of uh, scope there for some really quite cool things. You know, imagine if you had it uh, in your server room that you got your QR code and you just point your uh, augmented reality viewer at it, and you can get the stats on that on that host. Uh, obviously, back in the days of physical servers, you could have it down to the individual server, but you know, to be able to really uh, potentially, you could start to really visualize your applications using it. Yeah, I think I'll tell you what, there's an application I'd like to see, a uh, kind of a, a version of uh, augmented reality that I think is definitely, there must be a business case for it, and that would be to have telescopes around the world in three different areas, so that there's, there's always one of them somewhere dark. Yeah, and what you do is you get a bunch of cheaper kind of telescopes, but you link them to the web, so people can be sat on their iPad, hold it up in the in the air, and instead of seeing like a pictorial version of the sky, they actually get it streamed through to through to their iPad, the yeah. actual sky. If you're in Australia or wherever, yeah, and you could buy time, that kind of thing must be um, must be doable. You just buy a bunch of a bunch of comparatively you know middle of the range. Um, uh, telescopes and just write the application to map the sky coordinates to it and you know like i say imagine just being able to sit there and, and look at you know some amazing astronomy stuff with just from just from your armchair yeah stream streaming sky.com or something like that yeah well you heard it here first so uh yeah. ben phil gets his startup going uh <laughs> right. somehow go. i think sky sky television has that website registered for some oh, yeah. the main name. i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we just have to misspell Sky or and then put two Ks in it. <laughs> yeah, could sue true. them, sue them for it. They're yeah. spending yeah. money on lawyers at lawyers <laughs> at the moment as it is. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, uh, Phil, you have some experience with SRM version five. Got a lot of energy behind that at the moment. We're um, yeah, we're not currently really well as an organisation. We're not really an SRM customer. We've not got that much need for it. We we tend to uh, let our networking do our DR. But um, we've got some quite complicated environments now that we'd like to be able to recover without having to duplicate VMs manually. So we were having a look at it until uh, at, at, you know version four. Um, we were told to kind of hold back and wait for version five, and I think it has been worth the wait. Um, we, uh, I don't know if you've seen, but they've kind of split the functionality now for the replication. So with version five, you're no longer dependent on uh, doing all of your replication in storage between between you know, like for like uh, arrays. So previously, you had a bunch of uh, a bunch of data yeah. stores on uh, on one array, and you ended up um, you know you wanted them on another site. You had to pretty much buy the same manufacturer's array, set up your your, your synchronization one form or another, and SRM four would would sit on top of that and, and work. With five, they've they've left that bit in, which is great. But they've also added uh, host-based replication, so you can literally just have two uh, two ESX boxes, and they will they will cross over their their, their VMs that they'll replicate them, um, and that's presumably quite cheap if you're a hundred percent version five environment, um, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you've got the network bandwidth, will be will be great. I mean, it really would save quite a lot a lot of money because generally storage vendors spend um, a lot. Of, well, they, they, the licenses required for storage replication typically run into a lot of money, and you end up doing things like needing expensive FSIP 
interfaces and you know there's a whole bunch of stuff if you if you get into that array so just the fact that they've kind of split the product you can stay out you can stay using a storage replication you can use host-based re- replication um i think it's great it's a nice option to have um whether or not you can use it or not it's, it's down to individual uses but um it works the same and um it works the same as, as, as the previous one the interface is the same functionality is the same um so yeah yeah uh, big thumbs up from my, from my point of view. Uh, I do need a bit more experience on it, that's for certain. Yeah, but it's nice they're using, uh, they're kind of making it more accessible for uh, SMB, the SMB market, I guess, uh, to to replicate and, and, and use SRM to to offload their backup VMs to a secondary site without requiring all the, as you said, licenses and, and storage arrays that comes with it. But so. It's it's uh, it's an interesting move, and I, I think uh, by the looks of it, VMware is kind of moving into the storage area of things more and more with the VSA and now with this with the host-based replication in vSphere five. So it'll be interesting to see how how far that goes with EMC being the owner, but we'll see. Um, as a, a last mention regarding Site Recovery Manager five, I just want to shamelessly plug Mike Lavery's new. Uh, VMware Press book that I actually received a free copy of. Uh, so this is uh, as far as a paid endorsement goes on the uh, VSoup uh, uh, episode. This is it. Uh, check out uh, Mark Averick's administering, administering VMware Site Recovery Manager 5 book. I got my copy today. And I haven't read it yet, but knowing Mike, it's, uh, it's probably a good product. It would be two out of three of the hosts received a free book, so thank you also, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I've not come across it, so literally I'm going to, you know, if one of you guys could send me the link, um, you know, the ISBN or whatever, you know, that would be, um, be great. Do they do a Kindle version of it? Because uh, I've been buying a lot of my stuff on Kindle yeah, recently. So. Yeah, I yeah, believe so, there so, is a Kindle so version. Sorry, right. Yeah, Kindle edition? Yeah. Okay, cool. I, I, I actually bought a lot of uh, Kindle edition books lately as well, which sometimes drives me nuts considering that uh, some of them are actually more expensive as ebooks um, with, with compared to the paperback versions, which makes no sense to me at all. But well, it's just a licensing uh, thing, isn't it? It's a totally different deal. Yeah, the one thing work, the one thing working in TV is, uh, has taught me is that um, content licensees get some crazy ideas sometimes they really do and deals are totally different depending on different types of media um it's um it's a crazy world publishing and it's one i'm glad i I don't have to touch him too much (laughs) okay so you've been listening to the 20th episode of the vsoup podcast Uh, you can catch us on stitcher on itunes or at vsoup.net